Apparently, I am here to speak. <clears throat> it's appropriate to be wearing maroon this morning, not because of last Wednesday's tragedy, but because this is rather an embarrassing passage, isn't it? If I don't blush, you might. We can blush together. Or we can just pray, go have morning tea. Don't want to do that? No, okay. We are going to pray. Let's pray. Thanks, Heavenly Father. We again have the opportunity to be together, to learn together, to get to know one another, to support each other, to pray for each other. And now, Lord, in this part of the service, it's time for us to listen, to learn, to think, to evaluate and to discern. We do desire, we in fact crave for your voice, your teaching in our lives and to shape our thinking, to nourish our souls and to lead us in following the Lord Jesus. So Heavenly Father, speak to us by your spirit, through your word, we ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said? We are probably only going to get to verse 24, which is why we stopped the reading there this morning. And tonight's service, I'm also speaking there, so we'll, we'll go from 25 till the end of the chapter tonight. So the chapter falls into two halves, roughly. I mean, there's overlap. It's not a, a, a sharp distinction. The first half, verses 1 to 24, he's primarily talking to married people. And in the second half of the chapter, he's talking primarily to those who are not married, to those who are single, uh, either well, usually those who are, have not been married yet. Um, but you could be single through either death or through divorce or other circumstances, I guess. And so that's basically how the chapter falls into two. And so that's basically the division we will seek to follow this morning. <clears throat> Where are we up to in Corinthians? Well, in chapters 1 to 6, the Apostle Paul has been... He's had reports, he's had communications backwards and forwards and... Up to chapter 6, he's sort of taken the initiative himself to say, here are the issues I want to talk to you about. And now in this chapter, as you see at the beginning of verse 1, now concerning the matters you wrote about, there's this change in focus. It's like, okay, now I'll deal with the questions that you've sent me. And he begins. And there's several of them implied here in this chapter. And in fact, between now and the end of the letter, five times he will say, uh, now concerning... And it indicates a change of subject or a change of topic or a change of question. There are more than that, as you'll notice, through changes of context. And in this chapter, there seem to be like about half a dozen questions. <clears throat> um, before I guess I get to that, where are the questions coming from? Why are they writing these questions? Well, a little bit of background will be helpful. Because if we just take 1 Corinthians chapter 7... Um, by itself, you'll end up with a distorted view of both what Paul teaches and of what the Scriptures teach about marriage. Um, so Paul is not giving us the full gamut, a full reply of what it means to be married, nor of being single. Um, but it's certainly he's speaking to a specific situation. Um, and if you don't get heat tonight, the situation he seems to be speaking into is one of a crisis. There seems to be some sort of persecution or a hard time coming and it's in the light of that difficulty that the Apostle Paul is giving these instructions. The questions are coming out of Corinth, and in Corinth, the mindset of the ancient Greeks, people in Corinth in particular, 
was that they viewed themselves as like envelopes, that their body was like the outer shell, but the real you, the real person, is the soul on the inside. And that led to one of two responses. The body was not important. They all agreed to that. Because the body's not important, therefore what we should do is, first category, is we should abstain and deny all physical desires that we have. You get hungry, well, ignore that hunger pain. If sex drives, well, you should ignore that. You should abstain from all of these physical desires um, and wants that we have. Why? So that we can reach the perfect state of being free, free from all of these, this physical body, which is like a, an anchor, which is chaining the real us here. Death is a wonderful release where we leave the body behind and we float off into whatever the next life and we are free. It's possible to be free, they thought, by doing that, being ascetics, denying their human desires and urges. Second category of people were they said, no, that's not the best way. If the body's not important, if when the body dies, it's gone, well, then what we ought to do is indulge it. If you're hungry, eat. If you're thirsty, drink. If you have sexual desires and attractions, express it. Don't be inhibited. And it would appear that that is where these questions seem to be coming from, this second group, from the abstainers. At the end of chapter 6, which is what we looked at last Sunday night, that seems to be focusing more upon those who are indulging their sexual, but all their physical desires. And chapter 7 seems to be more addressing the abstainers, those who were now followers of the Lord Jesus, who had this expectation that um, a higher level of spirituality, I'd be deeper, stronger, more spiritual, more devoted to Jesus, if we abstained from, from marriage, from sex, from anything to do with that. Here are five possible questions. There's probably more, but this is how I've read it. Um, firstly, in verses 1 and 2, the Corinthians were sort of asking, Christians shouldn't get married at all, should they? In verse 1, it's, it's a euphemism, it's what it means. He's quoting them, the NIV, I think, correctly, puts it in inverted commas. They had said, it's not, it is good for a man not to have, NIV says, sexual relations with a woman, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's good for a man not to be married. That's what they're saying. It's good for a man not to be married. I think it was Chris Rock who said, you can be single and lonely, you can be married and miserable. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? Apparently not. Christians shouldn't get married at all. Well, if you are married, unfortunately... Well, then what you need to do is abstain from sex. That seems to be what they're saying. Paul addresses that in verses 3 to 7. Verses 10 and following. If you are married, in fact, you should take the opportunity to become single, separate, divorce. Become single again, if at all possible. In next, number 4 is verses 12 to 16. If you were married and you were both unbelievers and one of you gets converted, then surely being now a Christian, a follower of Jesus, and my partner is not a Christian, surely that's grounds for divorce and separation. I should separate from them because they'll contaminate me because they're not believers. Paul addresses that. And then at the end of the chapter, 36 to 38, he's talking about, well, what about... Well, it's either fiancés with their betrothed, their 
one they're pledged to be married to, or it's fathers with their daughters who are not yet married and the father's responsible to arrange marriages. And Paul addresses that issue. And what about our daughters who are not yet married? Should we leave them that way? Is that the best thing to do? These are the questions Paul, uh, the Corinthians are asking Paul. Is this true? Is celibacy the highest moral state and spiritual state that we can have? And it would almost appear the Apostle Paul says, um, yes. <laughs> he seems to agree with the Corinthians, but for a very good reason, as we'll come to in a moment. Before we do jump into the passage, two things by also, just to explain the Apostle Paul. What was his experience and with what authority does he speak? Let's do a survey. Was Paul married? Hand up for no. Oh, go on, don't be embarrassed. Hands straight in the air. Hands down. Who says yes? Hands down. Who says maybe? <laughs> Who says don't know? Who says don't care? <laughs> Who says get on with it? <laughs> he probably was married. While it's never stated, all of the indicators seem to point in that direction. What are the indicators? Well, two, very quickly. Number one, he trained as a rabbi. Guess what you had to be if you're going to be a rabbi? Married. And he trained to be a rabbi under Gamaliel. In fact, the Jews had a statement in their Talmud and other, their other expectations that if a Jew, a Jewish person, if a, if a Jew was not married, he lessened the image of God in the world. He lessened the image of God in the world, reflecting on Genesis 1, creation. And then they also had this statement, that there were seven groups of people excommunicated from the new age, from heaven, in our words. Seven people were excommunicated. It began with, number one, a Jew who did not get married, a Jew without a wife, or if he had a wife but had no children. Out. That's what they believed. That was their Jewish background. We're not talking about the Jews, we're talking about the Greeks, but we'll come back to that. So number one, Paul trained as a rabbi, so probably he would have had to have been married if that was the case. Secondly, he appears to have been a member of the Sanhedrin. Acts 26 verse 10, so he actually voted against followers of Jesus. Well, to be a member of the Sanhedrin, guess what? Had to be married. And so if Paul was married, and he probably was, what happened to her? Did she die? Did she divorce him? That'd be understandable, wouldn't it? And most comment we don't know. But most commentators tend to balance, lean that way of saying he became, from being a very devout Pharisee, Jewish person, to being a follower of Jesus because of his conversion, she found that intolerable and she separated from him. Uh, we are not given any uh, other indications. But when you read through this chapter, it's almost like sometimes you can get a sense that Paul's talking about his own experience, as we'll see as we come to it. The other thing to note in this chapter is that occasionally, three or four times, the Apostle Paul says, where is it, verse 8, Now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say, I say, or down to verse 12, to the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, me, I'm saying this. 
And flipping that, in verse 10, he says, To the Mariel, I give this command, not me, but the Lord. He has this flitting backwards and forwards between he's sharing his own personal opinion. And some people, when they read that, uh, want to say, therefore we can reject it because it's just his own personal opinion. But I think it's much more accurate to say what Paul is indicating is, I don't actually have a command from Jesus. When he was here, he didn't talk about this issue or these questions. But as one filled with the Spirit and as one who knows the Scripture, as, as one who um, has been appointed to be an apostle over the churches, I give you my opinion. And his opinion is recorded in the Scriptures and therefore has authority. So we're not simply reading an opinion of a person that can be easily dismissed. We are still reading the inspired word of God that came through an apostle who was under God's spirit and influence. That's how I understand how we should read this passage. As I said, Paul seems to agree that singleness and celibacy in Corinth is a good thing. It doesn't mean marriage is bad. In fact, he says in verse 28, it's not a sin if you get married. It's quite okay. But problem from our perspective is people will argue or they would want to ask the question well which one's better to be married or to be single we could do a survey couldn't we <laughs> yeah let's not <clears throat> but the corinthians and paul to the corinthians because of the situation in which they were this crisis this impending distress which was coming upon them while both are good and both are gifts you either have the gift of being single celibacy or you have the gift of marriage. Both are from God, both are good. We should be thankful for both. But Paul does appear to teach in this chapter that, gee, there is a place sometimes for celibacy. There are advantages to it. And to married people, I think the chapter implies, if you are married, and I are one, then I have to work harder, harder than a single person, to keep my devotion to the Lord right because when I get married I take on a responsibility or some responsibilities that the single person is free of they have their issues and they have their struggles as well I'm not saying that but what I am saying if you are a married person that you are taking on an extra responsibility and the Apostle Paul certainly gets to that and we didn't read it but towards the end of the chapter he certainly refers um, I would like you to be free from anxiety or from concerns. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. That's the point. Married people need to be aware that we need to work extra hard. We have a responsibility before God to look after our partner. She, him and he, her. But our primary focus is still to follow the Lord. We're just doing that together now particularly in a sex-ridden society like Corinth was to remain single and to abstain from all sexual practice was an incredible strain and pressure upon anybody because everywhere you went you were confronted with nudity with sex with invitations with encouragement with everybody was doing it you'd go to work in the day and on the way home you'd call in and visit a prostitute then you'd go home to your wife and your mistress and your concubine no wonder we get tired it would can take extra superhuman strength, self-control, to be single in that environment. Now, I'd live in a reasonably sheltered life, but there was one time when 
we went to Hong Kong the very first time our daughter Kate was in Hong Kong and uh, we had to book an apartment, a, a place to stay for about a week and we got Katie to look for a place for us that was nice because she was there and she found a place and it cost the earth so we went online and went uh, let's find somewhere cheaper and we did. We sent her around to have a look at it and she said um, it looks okay. Okay good because it's a lot cheaper. When we got there we found out by experience that the motel was fine, it was neat, it was clean. When you came down the motel, if you went right, you went to a coffee shop, there was a police station at the end, which was rather interesting, and all other sorts of shops, and everything was normal that way. But if you came down and went left, like we did once, <laughs> that was the red light district of Hong Kong. And we're in the hotel right next door. And I saw things I've never seen in my life. I mean, you would be walking down the street. This is in Hong Kong. This is 11 o'clock in the morning. And there would be what appeared to be young girls. But forgive me, I'm not being racist, but it's a reality of life. The Asians have wonderful facial genes, don't they? They always look. Don't they? So I think these were women, but they just looked younger and they were quite literally coming. I'm walking with Rhonda and they're walking out and they're grabbing you and inviting you in. There were topless girls in the window and all that sort of stuff. Now I couldn't cope just by turning left once. Imagine living there. Well, that's Corinth. And to abstain from that would have required, as I said, God's extra grace, superhuman strength. And so um, the Apostle Paul is addressing that very issue. He does say, I'm not commanding you that you should get married. Verse 6, he says, this is a concession. If you want to get married, if you have to get married, get married. I'm not commanding you to get married, but it's quite okay if you do. Um, but it is a solution to this issue of the society in which you are living. So now, if you're a single person what you will be able to do is turn to all of the married people who are around you and you can look at them and they're obviously the weaker ones who can't control themselves who needed to get married. So what is the Apostle Paul saying? Well, let's have a quick look. Um, this one. They wrote and said, isn't it better not to, you know, get married at all, not to have sex? And Paul says, because there is sexual, sexual immorality all around then each man should have sex with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to the husband. That's a great phrase, isn't it? And likewise the wife to her husband. I'll just read that again. <laughs> oh, look, it gets better. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to him. And the same one has sorry, the wife. <laughs> Do not deprive each other from having sex, is what he means. Um, except perhaps for, by mutual consent and for a period of time, for a season. And that's for a spiritual discipline, so you can devote yourselves to prayer. But the normal practice is, Paul teaches, if you're married, then be responsible to one another and... Uh, serve one another and help meet one another's needs, fulfill each other's sexual needs particularly. Why? So that Satan won't tempt you. Now there's a reality. 
Satan is after marriages. And if we have a lack of self-control, then he will target us. Apostle Paul says, verse 7, I wish all of you, whereas I am, single, unmarried, once married, now separated, wish you were like me. Then you won't have these sorts of problems. But each of us has their own gift. One gift from God, one has this, one has another. Be the person God wants you to be. Five quick principles. Physical relations are essential to a healthy marriage. They're not to be denied, the Apostle Paul teaches. If you have a breakdown in your physical relationship with your partner, with your spouse, um, then it will lead to other troubles in other areas. I want you to note also, the woman has equal rights with a woman. This is quite revolutionary for the first century, yet it certainly is the New Testament and the Holy Spirit's teaching here. Our body belongs to our spouse. Which being translated means, I can say to Rhonda, your body is mine, you have to submit to me, I want to have sex, let's go. In which she says, your body belongs to me, no you don't, stay over there. <laughs> It'll work its way out eventually. It's mutual. The woman has equal rights with the woman. Number three. There is a principle of self-control, both outside of marriage, but also inside marriage. And the Apostle Paul, there's a strange phrase, he says over in verse 9, I think it is, if you can't control yourself, then you should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn. What does that mean, to burn? One old preacher said, to burn in hell. That's a bit extreme, I suspect. I think it's the NIV is very helpful to us. They add the phrase, to burn with passion, to be aflame with a desire, and not being able to fulfil it. Well, you're better off getting married, the Apostle Paul says. There is also a principle of consenting separation. Basically, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, if you're married, stay married. Oh. Here is the reality of the Apostle Paul. He says, verse 10, Now to the married I give this command, not me, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. Divorce is not an option. Verse 11, but if she does, I like that contrast. Can you get divorced? No. But if you do, then you should remain unmarried. Or else be reconciled to your husband. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, like I said, this is not the whole teaching on what Paul is, or what the New Testament teaches about marriage and remarriage and divorce and everything else, because Paul is going to go on to say, to the rest I say this, if a brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to stay with him, then he ought not to divorce her and vice versa. If the woman has a husband who is not a believer, he's willing to live with her, she shouldn't divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through a believing husband. You'll have a spiritual influence upon them. Otherwise, the children would be unclean, but as it is now, they are holy. They're not saved. Have a look at verse 16. But it means that they are put apart in a special privilege. They come under the influence of the gospel. They're living with an actual Christian. And the Apostle Paul is saying uh, there is a consent which is necessary uh, if there's going to be a separation. And in fact, in that second example, Paul says it's the non-Christian who chooses, perhaps like his own ex-wife. I married you, 
you weren't a Christian. Now you've become a Christian, that's not what I signed up for, so it's up to the non-Christian to choose. Do I stay or do I go? It's not up to the Christian. You don't choose. Oh, I've got to get out of here. I need to leave you because you're not a Christian and I need to go find a Christian partner. Tragic story. Very, our church that we were planting in Sydney a thousand years ago, lady turned up a few years in and that was her story. She had been married to a non-Christian for quite a few years and she wasn't happy. She was now converted. She wanted to grow. She thought he was hindering her, so she divorced him. She went and married somebody else who professed to be a Christian. Guess what happened about three or four years later? He became a Christian. And she was grief-stricken. Well, that's the advice the Apostle Paul is giving. Don't do it. But if they choose to do it, don't hinder them. Verse 15, if the unbeliever wants to leave, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to peace. So if your partner basically wants to leave, there's not a lot you can do about it. God has called you to peace. Pray for, work for reconciliation. But at the end of the day, sometimes that doesn't happen, does it? And then you go back to verse 10 and 11 again. Uh, 8 and 9. To those who are unmarried, divorced is what he means by unmarried. You have a look at verse 11. To the divorced and to the widows, I say it's good for them to stay unmarried, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should get married, for it's better to marry than to burn. It's a gift. God has shaped us and called us and so on. Then he goes on, my time is gone, but then he goes on to talk about the principle of a called estate he basically wants to say, verse 17, particularly to 24, if you're married when you were saved, stay married. If you were single when you were saved, stay single. If you're a slave when you were saved, stay a slave. If you were a freed person, stay a freed person. If you're working for a terrible boss, then stay working for the terrible boss. If you're uh, in this situation when you got saved, stay in that situation. Don't get out of it. Stay where God saved you. Because God saved you where he assigned you so that you could be salt and light for him in that situation. That's what he's saying. Make sense? New Christians, the Christians in Corinth, when they got saved, they wanted, okay, away with the old and I want to be everything new. And they were making bad choices which weren't helpful for the kingdom. Be salt and light where you are. Don't distance yourself from unbelievers. Don't um, abandon the relationships that you already have. Bring God into the relationships of where you are. Now, I know that's tough, but that's the growth point. Be God's person where you are and in the situation that you are in. Don't disrupt prior relationships. It's a beautiful story in Mark 5 of the demoniac whom Jesus saved. And at the end of it, after he's delivered in his, in his right mind, they're going on the boat and they're leaving. And he comes to get into the boat and he says, Jesus, can I come with you? Jesus says to him, no. Stay where you are. Go home to your family and your relatives and your friends and tell them the good things the Lord has done for you. That's the principle Paul's talking about. I've come, you've been saved and delivered. Now stay where you are and be a light shining in this community. So all of that. What's the Apostle Paul saying? Keep your marriages vibrant. Keep your wedding vows if you're married to an unbeliever, don't seek to get out. Pray for them. Be an influence for Jesus in their life. 
But if they want to leave, just go with peace. It's their choice. Don't hound them or hassle them. And do not abandon your pre-conversion relationships or stations or status, whatever word you like. Be where God saved you and, let, and you be God's person in that situation. Then the Apostle Paul will go on to deal with other relationships, particularly those who are engaged or young ones who are not yet married and they're thinking about it. We'll talk about that tonight. Our time has gone. I think we'll just stand and finish. Let's stand together. Before I pray, for those of you who are married, let me talk to the men. Take 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and read it through this afternoon and write out a list of your responsibilities as a godly man in your marriage, in your relationship. You'll find about 12 verses speak to you and you'll find at least seven principles, seven instructions of what you're required to do as the husband. Christian women, if you're married, do the same thing. Go through the chapter. Notice what it says about the role of the wife and your responsibility. And about the same, you make your list. And if you're a single person, not yet married, then read through the chapter and see what it says to you specifically. And come tonight, particularly where we'll talk about some of those issues. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're the giver of relationships. Marriage is a gift, and we thank you for it. But so is singleness. Celibacy is also a gift. We thank you for it. For both of us, Lord, with either gift, you still desire us to be fully devoted to you, to give you our undivided attention. Help those of us who are married to be good marriage partners, but to serve and obey you, even in the marriage. For those who are single, help them to devote their time and energy and resources to serving you passionately and fully, that in all our lives and relationships, Jesus might be glorified. Lord Jesus, bless us with a sense of your presence. Grant to us the blessing of your grace and your peace as we go forward into the, each day of this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat>